beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was a little boy, often on Sundays my mum would put music on to wake us up. And I remember particularly that sometimes she would play this soprano singing the following words, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? It's quite a way to wake up. And it sounds kind of ominous. Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you? Are you ready to appear in person before that great judge of all the earth? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or or evil. And the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We have a judge who can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And you know what you have done. And you know what you have said. And you know the secret thoughts and intentions of your heart. Are you ready? to face judgment. Now, there are two possible answers to that question. Yes or no. And the answer of the Christian is yes. I'm ready. In fact, I'm looking forward to it eagerly. Look how we confess this scriptural truth in question answer 52. What comfort is it to you? Not what fear does it incite in your heart, but what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? Comfort. Now remember the context of this confession as many of the confessions of the church written in the context of great suffering. the suffering of the church Catholic. The catechism was written in a time when the church was confessing its faith by shedding her blood. People were dying for their faith. People were losing jobs and friends and family and possessions. And today, the church Catholic the church, the body of Christ around the world continues to experience suffering and persecution. We may have it a lot easier in North America for the time being, but we are part of the body. And when one member suffers, we all suffer together. There are Christians today, right now, imprisoned 
tortured, killed, and sometimes massacred in China, in North Korea, in the Middle East, in parts of Africa. But what about the church here in North America? Do we have sorrow and persecution? Look at the first line of the Catechism. In all my sorrow and persecution, is that, is that us? Well, let's take the persecution bit first. We don't often face blatant and open and physical persecution. But we do feel the increase of the oppressive power of the kingdom of darkness, encroaching upon and taking hold of the institutions of our culture and society. We increasingly feel the need to watch our step, to to watch our words and our attitudes at work or in public when we speak about marriage and family and sexuality, some of the hot-button topics of our time. And we perceive a growing animus against the Christian faith. More and more open hostility and even hatred for Christ and his church. It just takes a casual scanning of the news. Christian hospice in British Columbia shut down for refusing to kill elderly patients. Medical students who can't pass their exams unless they agree that biologically male bodies ought to be called female, if the patient simply affirms it to be so. Our tax dollars used to fund the destruction of the lives of unborn children. The federal government pushing through legislation to make it easier to kill not just the elderly, but the weak and the sick and the disabled and the vulnerable. That same federal government pushing through legislation to criminalize the biblical teaching about sexuality and gender. And just look at our own city of St. Albert. We right now, under the bylaws of our city, we are in a position where it is possible for the church to be fined $10,000 a day, and individual office bearers find the same, And for office bearers to be imprisoned, imprisoned for up to a year for giving pastoral counseling, which encourages people to be conformed to God's will with respect to sexuality, gender, and marriage. As far as persecution goes, we're kind of in that stage of the tsunami when the water has receded from the beach and at any moment, the wave is going to hit. It's rushing towards us. And so this persecution and and legitimate concern about impending persecution. There's also sorrow. In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head. This sorrow, how many of us have not been hurt, mistreated, suffered injustice, abused? And so many times it hasn't been dealt with. It hasn't been made right. How many carry pain and scars and and feel the hurt of, of the loss of loved ones? How many suffer oppressive attacks from the demons of addiction? 
How many have bowed down under the weight of the enemy's attacks on our souls, our minds, our marriages, our families? How many stumble under the cross of chronic, relentless pain in mind or body or soul as we taste the bitterness of living in a groaning and fallen world? There's certainly sorrow. Sorrow and pain, grief, that no amount of money and vacations and worldly pleasures and mind-altering substances and Netflix binge-watching and next-day Amazon deliveries can take away. Where is our comfort? To where can we look for relief? What do we confess? Look at the catechism. In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven, the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. I lift up my head and eagerly await judgment day. Because the Lord Jesus is coming back. And he is going to set everything right. And if we picture the dynamic of the time in which we live and the the history of the universe, maybe picture it in a smaller scale so we can kind of have it vividly in front of us. Imagine the city of St. Albert overrun by rebel warlords. Law and order has disappeared. There are rapes and robberies and murders and snipers in the streets. It's unsafe to get food. The supermarket shelves are empty. The water and electricity infrastructure is broken. And we are cold and we are hungry and we are afraid and we are in danger. To go out to scrounge some food or some some wood to burn, you risk your life. And then... In that miserable situation, we hear some good news. The government is sending the army in to restore order. And the criminals terrorizing the city will be arrested and jailed. And services will be restored. And the supermarkets will have food again. If we hear that news, wouldn't we eagerly await the arrival of the authorities? Well, we certainly would if we weren't one of the bad guys. The bad guys wouldn't be eagerly awaiting, but we would. But here's the problem. By nature, I am one of the bad guys. By nature, I am a rebel against God. And the destruction and the brokenness of a fallen world is on me. Why should I not fear Because the judge who is coming is the same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. The Lord Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. And he knows very well where you stand before God. He knows. Because he himself has made the full payment for all your sins. He knows what you owe. 
you owe nothing. He knows how much is left in that cup of the wrath of God. How much wrath is left in it for you? Nothing. It's empty. He drank it to the last drop. He knows what he has done for you. He knows what he has done to you. He has atoned for your sin and rebellion. He has covered you with his perfect innocence and righteousness in the sight of God. Now, will a righteous judge demand payment a second time for a crime which has already been paid for? Would that be a righteous thing to do? If I go to court and have paid my photo radar ticket, I've paid that painful penalty once and I show up in court, is is a righteous judge going to say, well, you have to pay a second time? Would that be righteous? No. And so our righteous judge will not require more payment for what Christ has already paid. When those books are opened, and when every thought and word and action of your life is laid bare and brought into judgment. Child of God, you can look forward to it. Because every sin of yours, all recorded, is blotted out and written over it in the blood of Jesus, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And every good work that the Spirit has incited you to do will be declared to the glory of God. Look at, look at what we read in Matthew 25. The believers are astonished. Lord, when do we do all these good things? They're pleasantly surprised by the judgment. What is infinite comfort to you, believer? Is terror to the unbeliever. Every act, every word, every thought of those who live in sin, of abuse and oppression, cruelty and defrauding and robbing and stealing, betraying and hating and perverting and mutilating and twisting truth and ruining marriages and families and wrecking people's lives and destroying human life and murdering unborn babies, all of that and more will be brought into judgment. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, now listen carefully. I didn't say if you're not a member of the church. I said if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Usually the two things go together, but not always. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you need to tremble at the thought of judgment. Because you stand before the throne of judgment condemned as a rebel, as an enemy of God. And what awaits you is eternal destruction under God's righteous wrath. And so the gospel comes to you today, the good news, and commands you, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, God is calling out to you through his ambassador, and God himself commands you, repent and believe and be reconciled to God. Today is the day. Don't wait. Don't delay because judgment is coming.
Now, brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. Something we can eagerly expect and long for and wait for. But we can only eagerly expect it if we actually believe it. It's not something that it's enough to know. I think the brothers that are doing the Conquer series will recognize what I'm about to say now. It's not enough to just know it. We must believe it. And I wonder if we do. And there's a little sign as to what's really in our hearts. Underneath all these layers of knowledge, all the things we know, and all the things we say we believe, there's something in our hearts, and what the heart is full of, the mouth speaks. How do we speak about the last day? What do we say? When there's a minor crisis and somebody is getting all discombobulated and upset, what do we say? It's not the end of the world. What does that mean? It means it's not that bad. It could be worse. It could be the end of the world. It's not that bad. So we, 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 we say that we believe that it is a great, glorious thing to wait for and long for and expect the end of the world. And then when something bad happens, we say, well, it's not the end of the world. The end of the world would be worse. It's totally against what we confess to believe. And it betrays something about what's in our hearts. So we need to evaluate whether we're just parroting these truths or whether they're really penetrating deep into our hearts and souls so that they actually affect the way we think about ourselves and about the world. What does the apostle say? Romans 8.23, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is the mark of the Christian to, to long for the day when we will taste the fullness, the final consummation of the glorious work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and when we will get our glorified bodies, and when all sin and all its consequences are, are done away with, when all his and my enemies are cast into everlasting condemnation, all the bad guys rounded up and put in prison so they can't hurt and terrorize and destroy the community anymore. Everyone and everything which stands against God and life and love and holiness will be wiped clean off the face of the earth. That's what we long for. If we don't just know, but if we actually believe the gospel of the coming judgment. We long for it because then will come true the words of the prophet Isaiah 11 verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everything will be set right. There will be no more sinners. There will be no more sin. There will be no more results of sin. 
No more temptation, no more sorrow, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more persecution, no more pain, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. That's the last enemy to be destroyed, death. And when that last enemy is destroyed, then what's left? He will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. That's what will be left on this renewed and cleansed earth. Just an infinite ocean of joy and glory in the presence of Jesus. Maranatha, we can't wait. Amen.